On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're rejoining Lenny James's Nelly and that bright yellow puffer jacket in series two of Save Me, respecting the curfew with Jim Sturgis in Home Before Dark, and taking a trip to unlock the mysteries of the universe in Amazon's Tales from the Loop. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, a show that is now entering its second week of full isolation and is fraying around the edges somewhat. But on the plus side, no one's talked about Brexit for about two weeks. Fear not, though, because the team is all here, ready to escort you through the minefield of appalling reality television to see you safely to the verdant meadows of quality programming that lie on the other side. To help, or let's be honest, more likely hinder in that pursuit, I should introduce my two co-hosts, each of whom have chosen to weather the lockdown in their own unique way. Uh, first, Terry White, who has established herself as warlord of her own fiefdom in North London, most likely keeping men as slaves and raising baby Emblem as some kind of post-apocalypse messiah and that was all before the lockdown started <laughs> it's terry white how are you terry i'm all right why are you using my full name as a <laughs> sorry is it is it, is it now sort of like grand vizier overlord <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> should keeper we be calling you men. negan keeper uh, of men um, keeper of men what do you yes. mean fraying around the edges as well i'm feeling frayed you're not feeling are frayed you? no yes, I'm, i mean I, you know, I've been up since 2am with a uh, <laughs> baby who won't sleep and I actually feel pretty banging. You were pre-frayed. Yeah, um, <laughs> I've gone past well, I had to, uh I had to review Vivarium this week, which is the uh, film with uh, with Imogen Poots and Jesse Eisenberg where they end up in a house and they can't leave. Uh, and it was a little close to home. Might have mm -hmm. pushed me over the edge a little bit. But anyway, um, also with us, of course, beaming in live from the celebrity COVID bunker, we can actually barely see him for all the A-listers sipping champagne around him on the video feed. It's TV's Boyd Hilton. How how are the famouses, Boyd? How are they holding up? Uh, they're good, yeah. Yeah, there's a few. <laughs> Imagine, like, we're six feet apart. It's fine, yeah. Just chatting away. <laughs> Just yeah, shit. swapping exactly canapes at a distance. Yeah. Yes, yes, I can see. I can see. But how how is this? So we are now in week two. How's it been? How's it treating you? Is your telly getting a lot of use? Yeah, I mean, the 78 inch show is, I mean, it's always <laughs> been the greatest thing I've ever bought. But it's, yeah, what would I do without it? I mean, it'd be bleak to think. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, no, I think I'm the same, same as Terry. I'm kind of feeling okay. I feel bad that I'm not more more um, distressed by the whole thing. Because <laughs> it hasn't altered your lifestyle yeah, as much feel, as it may yeah, have done. At the moment, yeah, I mean, every, I, mean I, I do watch the news religiously. I, I mm. watch Obsessed with CNN press conferences with Donald Trump. I, might, I, think God, I, I can't watch don't, those. Don't, don't do it He's incredible. Honestly. It's so, it's I've never seen anything like it oh, yeah. ever in my life. Yeah, yeah, so. Well, you, it, makes, it, it makes us look really slick. Together, <laughs> yeah, really slick and together and brilliant. Yeah. Um, but it is like a terrible dystopian drama that would be rejected for being too mm. beyond the realms of credulity. What's that? I can never say credulity. 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 I mean, whatever. I mean, who, who in their right mind would rock up in front of a microphone without any preparation, just talk shit for loads of, I mean, can you imagine, imagine? James, imagine yeah. what kind of bell end would do that? What yeah. kind of bell end would do about that? About a global pandemic. I think it's different to about, you know, what fucking TV shows are watching. I think that's Although at this point, if he started banging on about Picard, I'd take that as a step up. <laughs> I bet you would, yeah. Do you yeah, think he so watches Picard? No. I seriously doubt it. He doesn't any. No, he only watches, he watches Fox News, News fucking twenty four seven. No, I'm talking about Boris. Oh, oh, oh Boris, yeah. Boris. Oh, 
Hmm, maybe he mm. watches Picard. Who knows? Maybe. We should definitely ask someone to bring it up at, at uh, question time. Yeah, they've got to be what did you think questions. of the uh, Star Trek Picard finale, you know, as a break from all the COVID <laughs> nonsense? You know, did, did you think it landed? Did it, did it give you all the feels? Boris, Boris, where are you going? I'm calling uh, on uh, Laura Kuttenberg to, uh, to take one for the team and step up and ask that question. I think it needs to be done. Speaking of which, that's the thing that I've been watching this week. So the Star oh. Trek Picard oh. finale was the uh, the TV milestone of my week. And without giving away any spoilers, because not everyone will have seen it yet, um, it's an interesting one. They, they've walked a very fine line between nostalgia and kind of keeping this accessible up until, I would argue, this point. Uh, and then they seem to have embraced the warm and fuzzies in this particular one. But I, I liked it. I liked it. I think I like where it leaves the universe at the end of it. I think it's interesting. Uh, it makes me very, very, very excited to watch uh, season two. I would ask what... Well, Either of you thought of it, but I know better since neither of you carried on watching the show, did you? No, uh, no, but I, I am going to catch up with it this weekend. I've, I've been, yeah, I've got like four to watch, so. I'm oh, sorry. good on you, mm. good on you. Resistance is futile, Boyd. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So, what, what have you been watching then? If you haven't been watching Picard, well, I have been watching um, the show that everyone's talking about, which is Tiger King: Murder, Mayhem, and Madness on Netflix. It's a seven-hour true crime documentary. Uh, which has taken the world by storm. It's basically the biggest, I would say it's the biggest word of mouth um, factual show on Netflix since Making a Murder. You know, mm. it's got that. But it's 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 basically about a bunch of absolute freaks who are um, operating in the world of big cat um, kind of rearing and um, zoo creation in America. There's a whole community, who knew, of people who acquire lions tigers leopards snow leopards um and they are and they create zoos um and thousands of people come and see them and there's no law against it um which is extraordinary and they're all involved in either murder or um allegedly or um huh. or exploitation <laughs> exploitation um and what's incredible what's brilliant i mean it's a brilliantly done um bit of storytelling because as all documentaries do, but they withhold just enough information each as it goes along, as you meet these absolutely bizarre people, um, so that suddenly, you know, three episodes in, you'll find out that one of the people that you met two hours previously is allegedly a murderer. And then another person suddenly is married to two men, not just one man, but two men. Another guy might have seven wives that they didn't tell you until you know, half an hour into episode four. It's just got, it's just very, very cleverly structured so that it keeps hitting you with jaw-dropping moments, incredible revelations that are unbelievable rug pulls and it's all real. So it's kind of like a relentlessly shocking, surprising um, bit of storytelling that's unbelievably true. And it is, some of it is distressing because it is, you know, the, you, there's lots of stuff about these poor little beautiful, you know, big cats that are being clearly being exploited by these horrible monsters, these monstrously eccentric figures, power-crazed people. It's also about um, coercive control. It's about messiah complexes. It's about America, I think. It's about how so something about the American way where you're told as a kid when you grow up in school that America is the best country in the world and we're all the best people in the world, that kind of sense of superiority entitlement because it's all about these grotesque, mostly men, but not all of them, who feel they're like above everything and have a right to do whatever the fuck they want to do. It's incredible. Tiger King, Murder, Mayhem and Madness on Netflix now. Terry, have you been watching this as well? Yes, I have. It's, and and I 
predicted that you would not have watched it no. and would probably be very bemused about uh, what we were talking about. It is absolutely fucking deranged. And I'd not really heard of this story beforehand. I know there's a podcast um, first and there's actually going to be a, a, a scripted series as well, which we'll probably get onto in news. Um, but it's just the most mental story there's polygamy i mean even the details are weird like the, there's a big headline stuff which boy just covered off which is all very very deeply weird then there's like he was in these like weird cheesy music videos that reminded yeah. me of like david brent yes. it's like there's so many layers of weirdness yeah. and absurdity within it that you can't actually believe this is a real story it's absolutely absolutely nuts um, I'm not going to suggest you watch it, James, because you will hate it. <laughs> you will hate every last minute of it. But um, every, I mean, literally, I don't. I agree with Boyd. I haven't seen this many people talking about a show that hasn't, let's be honest, been promoted anywhere. There's just no. been people talking about it, recommending it to other people. Um, if you haven't somehow been one of those people like James who have watched The Tiger King, I would suggest you do so. Uh, this week I've also I mean my telly has got a lot of action this week <laughs> so I watched Doomsday which is the greatest episode I, I thought of... you were about to say the Neil Marshall film I was like, God <laughs> no. can't think you can't have got that bad <laughs> they're not that quite that bad the, the very greatest 10th Doctor episode of Doctor Who um, I re-watched all of season one of Save Me um, in preparation for us um reviewing season two today mainly because i realized it'd been fucking ages but and and i don't want to spoil anything later but it really is as good as we thought it was at the time it's absolutely outstanding maybe better um mm -hmm. with the passage of time but also this week for the first time i watched something that a lot of um our listeners have been recommending to me on twitter when i've been talking about that kind of warm and fuzzy telly we all need in our lives right now which is the repair shop which, oh my God, Boyd, have you watched this? Yeah. Of course you yeah. have. Oh, Christ. And it's just a simple premise of there's a repair shop and you take an item in and there's a story attached to that item. But this week's... Sounds I, like I, Antique Roadshow. Oh God, it's just... But it's like Antiques Roadshow where people aren't trying to be money-grabbing bastards ultimately. <laughs> um, and there's... Hot, um, it's, <laughs> oh God, it's so devastating. I was crying my eyes out this week. It was so just, This is a, like, it's it's reality. Like it's it's not like yeah. a scripted thing. Like yeah. it's natural. It's real know. people. I found going. this in my garage. What is it? <laughs> yeah, real people. Imagine that. No. Horrific. <laughs> <laughs> Shant. <laughs> Ugh. So yeah, all yeah, so of the telly. Yeah, that was because that was a show that that was also a big word of mouth phenomenon because that yeah. started out on BBC Two as like a daily kind of almost, you know, daytime filler, really. And then it became such a phenomenon that's become a BBC One primetime show as well. Yeah, it's incredible. Oh, and actually, I did just want to talk about this country, which um, I know we talked about last mm. week because the final episode was coming up. Um, uh, I actually watched it uh, on Tuesday because I had a crying baby on Monday night. But... <sighs> And I think, feel like this might be controversial and I don't mean it to be, but I was slightly underwhelmed by the last episode. Mm. And I don't know whether that's kind of in keeping with the show almost. There isn't obviously a great kind of um, narrative ending or it doesn't kind of lead to anything massive that they're not even kind of the focus of it, the vicar is, which Boyd mentioned last week, I think. But there was something about it that, I'm devastated it's over, but there's something about the last episode that left me feeling a bit wanting. And I don't know if that's because I'm used to finales being so kind of, there being great significance and a great meaningful moment. And whereas this was kind of 
just another really great episode and you just happen to leave them at that point. And I've been toying with it all week thinking, is that just what, is that really smart? Because maybe that's really in keeping with the show in that it is kind of low key and it isn't um, about those big dramatic Mm. moments. It's about the kind of detail and the everydayness of life. So I don't know. What do you think, Boyd? Uh, Yeah, I think it is. I think it is in keeping with the show because I think, yeah, without spoiling it, they're they're kind of leading you up to, to a thing to happen like and a it, big kind of almost romantic comedy ending, do you know what I mean? Which they then didn't do. And it was left with almost like quite a, a kind of, oh, this. I think they're stuck religiously to what would happen in reality. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that means that it's not a big, but I think the emotion was underplayed so much that there were moments where I thought, oh, this is brilliant and incredible. Yeah. But yeah, I think, some, I think they have done it so that it wasn't a, um, it wasn't, it didn't feel in any way manipulative. It felt mm. absolutely right. Mm. And true. So I think in the way that is that's very admirable. Oh, I want to be manipulated. <laughs> Fuck around with my heartstrings. Yeah. Come on, that's yeah. what that's what yeah. I'm in it for. Fair enough. Oh. Well, but still, obviously still I didn't watch that. Mm. No, of course you didn't. Will you watch it all at some point, James? Absolutely not. I hated it. <laughs> oh, God, did you? Mm. Yeah, you remember this? We reviewed this film. Tree. We did I don't the first one. Hating it? I no, I didn't like it at all. Oh, okay. I didn't like it at all. It's, it's, it is. It is. To misquote Star Wars, if there's a bright centre to the comedy universe for me, that is the show that it's farthest from. I can't can't be getting on with it at all. It's, How the fuck uh, did we just end up at Star Trek? I know. Wars. Wars. Star Wars. Star, sorry, Star Wars. Star, <laughs> how, how, okay, the question is still valid. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm never far from Star Wars, let's be honest. Um, but no, no, this country is, is not for me, no. Um, shall we move on to this week's listener question, which again, perhaps slightly predictably came in for a number of people, but they wanted to know, what do we think are the best bottle episode so just to give this a little bit of context so if people don't know what a bottle episode is uh, a bottle episode is one that is uh, essentially all takes place in uh, it's designed to use as little money as possible when they're making a tv show they're often done out of necessity when they've gone over budget but they tend to take place with existing major cast members no guest stars they tend to take place in one enclosed set to keep uh, location costs down um, where the term comes from there seems to be some disagreement on uh, some people have said that actually it comes from the original Star Trek, where cast and crew referred to episodes that were contained within the ship as ship in a bottle episodes, but other people think it comes from somewhere else. Suffice it to say, bottle episodes are contained. So, who would like to kick out a great bottle episode? Clearly no one. Okay. Um, I've got a few. I've got a few. It is is ambiguous, isn't it, the term, though? There is is debate about certain, you know, is, is this really a bottle? Doctor Who, to get to it, has a lot of episodes that could be considered bottle. In fact, some of them started out as bottle episodes, I would say, mm. and ended up being actually quite some, you know, quite involved and lavish. But specifically, there's episode Midnight of Doctor Who with um, with the Tenth Doctor, which did have Leslie Sharp as a guest star in it, brilliantly so, but was set entirely within one setting, which was this kind of uh, planet called Midnight with a train going and a group of, small group of people in that confined setting. And what was brilliant about it was that Leslie Sharp's character said, exa- knew what everyone was going to say in mm. advance and was kind of said everything along with the characters. And it was like all about working out, the Doctor having to work out how that, what she was doing and how that happened. And that was a brilliant episode of Doctor Who. Blink, which is one of the greatest episodes mm. of all time, which Stephen Moffat wrote, Russell C. Davis wrote Midnight, I, th- I think is a bit of a bottle episode in that you mostly only really see the Doctor on a little video link and the rest of it's playing out kind of mainly in one set and where he introduced the the, the statues. Um, 
but I don't know. Debate rages as to whether that's a bottle episode, but I think it is a bit. It, was, it certainly started out as a way of saving some money, I think, Blink. And and I think also Tennant was busy like doing something else, so they kind of didn't need him that much for that episode. Other ones, classic comedies, Dinner Party, the Frasier episode, which is just Frasier and Niles in Frasier's apartment trying to invite people create a dinner party and working out who to invite and who not to invite and is absolutely brilliant um, and that's all it is for 25 minutes it's just them going through who, who they who who they can who will be best for them to invite and who would annoy other people and it's brilliant and first response which was an episode of veep i think in season two mm. and it's just Alison janney as a um like a kind of tv reporter interviewing julia louis dreyfus's um vice president in her um in her residence and it's all in that setting and that is basically a kind of a two-hander i mean the other characters hover around and they are involved but it's focused entirely on the two greatest i think comedy actors of our generation julia louis dreyfus and alison janney doing this kind of tete-a-tete with each other trying to work out what's happening with each other it's fucking brilliant so yeah i would say that those Good choices. Good choices, Thanks. Terry. I would say uh, the one where no one's ready, which is <laughs> yeah, that's great. the Friends episode, which is just, <laughs> I think what's so brilliant about it is it's it's like a play and every single little dynamic within that group and every single beat of chemistry is played out within the episode. Um, you know, you've got the, could I be wearing any more clothes? Um, yeah. Between Joey and Chandler, you've got um, Monica and the whole calling into Richard's antiphone and accidentally tapping into his messages and then changing his outgoing messages. The Ross and Rachel thing, drink the fat, drink the fat, drink the fat. Like, it's just one of the most perfect episodes of Friends ever, I think. Oh, that's a good one. That is a very good one. Yeah. Um, God, uh, there's so many of them. Fly, you know, the Breaking Bad episode directed by Ryan Johnson where uh, they're trying to chase the fly around the drug lab. That's an amazing bottle episode. Uh, one that I'm not sure qualifies, but which I watched very recently, was the Battlestar Galactica episode, Unfinished Business. It takes place almost entirely uh, in a boxing ring because the crew are having this sequence of boxing matches. However, it's a bit of a cheat because there are massive amounts of flashbacks in it and those take place on location. So I'm not sure that really counts. Um, the best of all bottle episodes uh is 17 people from the west wing oh. uh which oh, was of course no no it genuine and i had so much so there is actually a website called i think it's 17 people.com which just breaks down this one episode so sorkin was unsurprisingly massively over budget so he was told to write this one simple episode with as few people as possible uh, and so much happens in this you've got it's where toby finds out that Bartlett's been concealing his MS. And there's a series of conversations that get incredibly tense between them. There's a whole separate thing going down in the cafeteria. Um, Ainsley Hayes uh, is in it, and she's a fantastic character. The, the stuff between uh, her uh, and Sam, this, this debating the benefits of the Equal Rights Amendment, that's amazing in there. There's some, And then there's uh, there's a bit where they're trying to write jokes for the White House Correspondence Dinner, and this is all happening in this one thing. And uh, when I interviewed Sorkin for my big, monstrous, 25,000 word West Wing thing, which you can find online and indeed in my <laughs> Twitter bio. Um, it, he said this by far and away his favorite episode. Like he just sat there. He said, I basically wrote a play, which is what I love to do. He's a playwright originally and he wrote a play. And that's exactly what this is. It's this perfect little play. Uh, and I absolutely love it. It is the best episode of the best TV show. Um, so that's really good. But other things. So uh, um, the Red Dwarf episode Marooned is one of my favorite Red Dwarf episodes, which is where it's just Lister and Rimmer in Starbuck marooned on a planet. I think that's great as a kind of character study of those two. There's that Sopranos episode. I think it's called Pine Barrens. You know yeah. the one yeah. where it's uh, it's it's Paulie and, and Christopher in the woods. 
yeah. that's a really, really good one. What else is there? There is actually an episode of Banshee, which is kind of a bottle episode. It's called Tribal from season three. And it's when they, it's like an assault on Precinct 13 thing where they are marooned or, or rather say trapped in the police station. And, and Chayton, the, uh, the sort of the antagonist for that season is laying siege to them. And there's a rather shocking death at the end of that. But that mainly takes place in, in one place as well. So I thought anytime you can mention Banshee, you should mention Banshee. So, um, an episode of Seinfeld, the Chinese <laughs> restaurant, which was in season two and was the episode of Seinfeld that really transformed it and it's just Kramer isn't in it it's just the three others going yeah. to a Chinese restaurant and that is it I'm surprised you didn't leave with that yeah I should have led with that it just occurred to me but um, it totally transformed that whole program because it was it showed how ingenious and brave and bold it was it was brilliant yeah very good. You know, that there, there's the one I just thought of was that episode of ER. I can't remember the name of it. There's an episode of ER where they're doing a sexual harassment seminar and it's all a bit breakfast club and they're just all in this little sort of seminar room and it's all the secrets that come out between them as they argue and talk among themselves. That's a great episode, which kind of, uh, you know, we'll and I'll be talking about John Wells and his shows a little bit more later on. Ooh. Right, that, I think, answers the uh, bottle episode question. If you would like to have a question read out on the Pilot TV podcast, do DM it to us on Twitter, at Pilot TV Mag, and we will perhaps pull your particular question from the virtual hat. Shall we transition now to what little news there has been over the past week? Can we start by talking about Jodie Whittaker's amazing mm. Doctor Who video? James, did yes, this enter your universe? Nope. Of course <laughs> what is it? Didn't. Although, did Empire Podcast, on Friday on. we recorded, Brett Goldstein was on it, and we talked Doctor Who, so I thought of you then. And you just, did you give him as much shit as you give me? I mean, no, I, I no. felt that would be inopportune. But I did, I did, well, I called him out a little bit, I was like, I was like oh, so do, do you enjoy, you know, your big Whovian? And he was like, um, I like the show. no i think the answer is no but uh but he likes jodie whittaker and uh and he enjoyed doing it but he said it was well, very difficult oh yeah, he, was, he said he they talk a lot episode, of nonsense yeah. in it yeah. he said it's all like a bit like star trek there's a lot of techno babble in it so he said learning the lines was a nightmare but sorry i've derailed it go on terry what did well, jodie have to say so <laughs> they put out um uh this video from her so it looked like it was i mean i presume it was done in her house so she clearly like literally climbed in a cupboard or a wardrobe kind of doubling as the TARDIS. She got the her outfit, her doctor outfit on, which led me to think, did somebody have to bike that to her? Or did huh. she have like a spare one in her wardrobe? But she did this really beautiful video, which was her the doctor's five ways to deal with a worrying situation. And they did it like an emergency transmission. And it went viral on Twitter. And it was, I have to say, I cried at it, which I can't tell if it's just, you know, the uh, the pressure of being stuck in my house. But it was <laughs> the most heartwarming, lovely thing. And I just think if you've got kids at a time like this, being able to show them that would have been amazing. And it just, that's the spirit of the doctor for me, was what she did in that video. And putting it out the way they did, I thought it was genius. And it just makes me love her even more as the Doctor. It was so beautiful. Please watch it, James, just to feel something deep inside your dark soul. I'll see if I can find it on Twitter. I think you should watch it. I think you should watch mm. it, even if you've... I mean, you've watched the episode of Doctor Who we reviewed, right? Yes, I've seen that one. So you know enough to be able to enjoy it. And you yes. do have a heart, so <laughs> use it. All right, all right. I will watch the Doctor's uh, PSA. It was There's a PSA. Also, also in Doctor Who... In use, they're also doing these um, watch along um, events where they show where they encourage people to watch classic episodes. So, um, they did Rose 
on this week, didn't they? All, all the days night. merge into yeah. one. Last night, Thursday. was it last night? Yeah, Thursday. <laughs> I've seen Thursday Rose. days ago. Um, and Russell T. Davis tweeted along really brilliant, interesting insights, genuinely fascinating insights into the making of it and fans watch it along with it. It's brilliant. And um, Stephen Moffat did one last week um, and they're doing one next week on Monday, is it, I think, mm. with um, about the Van Gogh episode um, with Richard Curtis and Emma Freud. And it's it's an, it's actually like, you know, these are the best things that have come out of the, the crisis um, is these kind of events. Yeah, it is. They are brilliant. Okay. Mm. Um there's an Angry Birds show in development. There you go. That's some news for you. They are making <laughs> wow. a show on Netflix of Angry Birds. I would um, love to have an opinion on that. Yeah. But uh, I don't. So, so that's a thing that's happening. Yay for Angry Cartoon Birds. Cartoon show? Uh, I believe so, yeah. So, so yeah. It's, I imagine in much the same vein as the is it two movies they've done. I say, mm. is there? I think I went and saw one of them. Uh, yes, I, I can't recommend it. I wanted to ask Boyd about this uh, Little Britain news which is um i think one of the newspapers had a report that there was talks about bringing back little britain and then on radio two i think today friday matt lucas um kind of suggested it it would come back at some point although they weren't sure what it would look like or and there has been talk about them um talking to netflix about bringing it back Boyd, as the author <laughs> of a Little Britain book, mm. what can you tell us? Inside Little Britain, probably still available in some on Amazon, I imagine. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, well, I definitely they're working together again. That's the thing, uh, Matt and David. And they did the Radio 4 special um, on Brexit night, I think it was, or, mm. when, or it was either on the night it was supposed to be Brexit or, or, or whenever. They, so they did a, that, that thing, and that was the first thing they've done together since um so it's probably they did come fly with me off the top of my head um that show and um they definitely want to do something i think i think it's the that, i think i don't think they genuinely have sorted out how that what they'll do themselves yet but um they're just working together and um and i think i'm sure the bbc would love nothing better than to have a a, 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 a little britain a new episode or series but the temptation equally of netflix must be massive as well so yeah maybe it'll be two of them together but they'll definitely come up with something i think quite soon i imagine do you think, because what I was thinking about was how can all of those characters still kind of exist in no. a modern world? I'm thinking yeah. about Ting Tong and... Mm. and yeah, no, not a all. lot of them. No, a lot of them won't. I mean, in the Radio 4 special, they were they were all pretty much, I think, all the sketches, they recorded about an hour, and most of the sketches were from old characters' brought back but they did a couple of new ones and they were the ones that still do work so i think mm. i would say like more than half of them are still still do work um but yeah they definitely will drop the ones that don't work shall we say and they have mm -hmm. they've addressed this you know the uh, issues but times were different then it was acceptable to wear you know a huge big fat suit of a of a black woman when you know david's a white man somehow that was that was that was not something that anyone that hardly anyone really complained about genuinely back then um but times have changed yeah and i'm sure they will they will uh drop various characters that won't work well this was this was kind of picked up didn't simon Pegg did a kind of uh, a little stay at home psa in the vein or in the character of sean from sean of the dead and made reference to shall we say some of the gags in sean of the dead that have not aged well yeah uh, which was quite funny 
That's available yeah. on his on on his Peg News Twitter feed. Um, but uh, the the key news for me this week has to be Mandalorian related. So we've had two bits of Mandalorian news this week. The first is that Aliens and the Terminators Michael Bean uh, will be appearing, we think, in season two as possibly a bounty hunter. It's very exciting. Michael Bean, great actor. Also one of these guys who should have been a massive A-list star and wasn't. And I've never quite understood why he isn't a bigger star than uh, than he actually is. Um, he was uh, he was Hicks in Aliens. He was Carl Reese in Terminator One, and then he did lots of sort of small films after that. But he never really fulfilled the potential. But he's going to obviously do it now in the Mandalorian as a bounty hunter. Uh, the other half of the Mandalorian news was that Ahsoka Tano, the sort of the Anakin's apprentice, the sort of Jedi character who's the star of uh, the Clone Wars animated series, and also turns up in the Rebels animated series, uh, she's going to turn up in season two of the Mandalorian, played by Rosario Dawson. So that. That is an excellent bit of casting. And also, I think, and there's certainly been rumours that this may be a kind of teeing up to an Ahsoka Tano uh, TV spin-off series, presumably with her starring in that role. So that, I mean, that, I mean, people go nuts for that. Terry's like, what the fuck? Ahsoka what? <laughs> and it's like, yes. Yeah, she's from the same race as Shakti, who you will remember, of course, from the Jedi Council. Oh, I do. I do. You're, yeah. you're not making any sense to me right now. <laughs> no. For a change. Um, yeah. There are there is some TV news which is kind of like general TV viewing related news which James will be frowned upon because it's not it is real people, <laughs> but I think it's interesting. So so for example, Channel Four is creating a lockdown academy with um, various special shows. Basically, TV I think TV is really stepping up to the plate is is the general thing. I think it's really interesting how BBC Channel Four I, they're all kind of like coming up with ways of reacting to the crisis and the fact they're all stuck at home. So Channel 4's Lockdown Academy includes Grayson Perry's art club in which he's going to be teaching us how to draw, sculpt and create and he's going to interview artists on it and he's going to like encourage people to join him at home and he's going to link up with people at home. That sounds really interesting. Um, Kirsty Allsop's doing a daily craft show called House of Craft. You're going to love that, James. <laughs> um, and... BBC is doing Culture in Quarantine, which is a virtual festival of the arts, which includes, this is the highlight, Margaret Atwood of um, Handmaid's Tale fame creating a puppet show to accompany a story by Edgar Allan Poe that she's going to narrate. What? That's, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. A Margaret Atwood puppet show is coming, James. Deal wow. With yeah. Okay, that's, that's, that's bizarre. Yeah, um, and Graham Norton's show is back in on Friday week, and it's going to be at nine o'clock for half an hour, and he's going to do it like get the guests house? by any means necessary. I think he's going to do it. Maybe yeah, he's going to link up with guests remotely. But it's going to be really interesting. The whole like the transformation of TV, like chat shows and daytime into like people, everyone dialing in like we are now. I mm. guess you know is, is is really interesting. I think it oh, is. I can't bear that, but I can't bear any more awkward, awful Skype. I know, things on live television where it doesn't yeah. work or it breaks yeah. down i mean we During can make the... it work so you'd think graham norton can make but it work just about but like you know bbc news and they'll have somebody patching in and mm. it's it's not even as good as their kid running in the background it kind of the the line breaks down and then you can't hear them and then there's a the delay um i don't know if i can take it i don't know if i can take graham norton interviewing a-listers by skype oh, okay. and well, skype not working yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, okay. I think I can uh, take it. I'm ready uh, or, for it. Or, it's like one yeah. of those interviews. Oh, uh, yeah. oh, I didn't hear you. Can you just, you know, like that bit in Partridge? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Alan. That was a brilliant bit about Partridge. <laughs> Wasn't yeah. it? 
You know, it's an interesting question, though, doesn't it? It's that we as a whole society have been kind of thrown into a situation where we are embracing technology that we've all kind of sneered at for a while. Like the whole Empire office has now embraced Microsoft Teams as remote working. And th these are people who do not do well with really anything technologically and yet it's all working seamlessly and you've got to think that this this is across every industry like uh you know movie studios are finding different ways to get films to people tv is having to think about the way that they operate and you've got to wonder like what are the learnings from this going to be like how our business is going to change if and when we get out the other side of this do you know what i mean it's mm. like you yeah know, will flexible working become the norm as opposed to mm. some weird thing that only media companies do it's, yeah. it's well the it's film thing is really yeah i watched the invisible man on um on yeah. whatever sky and it's fucking brilliant i watched yeah. it i mean for the second Such a good time film. oh my mm. god so good yeah that's a film thing but yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it's it is it's interesting stuff and and mm. and i'll be you know be curious to see what what sort of lasting impacts it has one thing that we our technology cannot save unfortunately for us is the finale of the walking dead so the end of season oh, 10 yeah. has been shot but they haven't finished the post-production on it and unfortunately due to the coronavirus cannot finish the post-production in time so the walking dead's finale is has been delayed until I guess all this is over. So they've essentially pushed it back to as a one. It's now going to air as a one-off later in the year. So people have to wait to see how that starts. And also, the new Walking Dead World Beyond spin-off show has likewise been uh, been put on hold. So this is something we may see more of, where we've talked about how you know cinema may be on pause to a certain extent, but TV is you know coming into its own. That said, people still need to work on TV shows, and in you know in isolation, people can't. So we probably will see like shows will have to stop. Things will have to go on hold until people can be in the same room and people who work in VFX can actually get to their offices. And also, we should say that the third day, which is um, this incredibly interesting yes. project uh, with Jude Law and Naomi Harris, written by the guy who wrote Utopia, um, and uh, which was supposed to have three episodes written, uh, uh, scripted, then mm. a big live event in the middle, then another three mm. episodes. That's had to be postponed yeah. till the summer, they're saying, at least because of that <laughs> live weird live event if everyone was yeah. six feet away from each yeah. other. Yeah, which is that live two. event was going to be, a, you know, like literally a, a groundbreaking moment in TV history and has been put back. We're still, but we have got the feature running in the next issue of Pilot TV, which is an incredible story in itself. Mm. Um, and and I, I'm interested in the fact that some channels, like HBO have put back a couple of big shows, right, to the autumn, and I don't know why. Like they're fully finished shows and they just decided, you know, no, it's not it's not right or I don't know what their thinking is. Whereas like other channels have brought forward some shows because mm. they, they feel like, you know, this captive audience rating is going to be even bigger. So there's a kind of mixed thing going on. I don't really know why anyone would delay a show that's completely finished and was ready to go out. Do you think it's a spacing out. issue where they've had to sort of mm. pause production on certain shows so they know there's going to be a hole in their schedule? So they're trying uh, maybe, to stagger yeah. things to keep it yeah, evened so. out yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um, I also right, wonder yeah. if it's a promotion thing because obviously nobody's in promotion yeah. mm. at the moment. And it's the yeah. same with films, even when, you know, we get back up and running, people have to be able to go and do press and promote it for things to be in with a chance of really getting seen. Um yeah. and I imagine that's incredibly challenging at the moment. Yeah, they are doing um they are doing this kind of they are doing Skype like interviews and stuff like that with. I've been offered a few recently. Mm. Um yeah. So I look forward to that. Nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Lols. Um, what else is happening in the world? Oh, Elle Fanning is going to be Catherine the Great, following in the footsteps of Helen Mirren. So that's a thing that is coming to, he says, looking Hulu. It's coming to Hulu. Hulu. Don't know where it'll be in the UK, but it'll be Hulu in the US. If you're a fan of Catherine the Great and or Elle Fanning, then be sure to watch that. <laughs> 
um, I mentioned it. I mentioned it earlier, but um, uh, the Tiger King phenomenon continues. So Kate McKinnon is going to make um, this limited edition series, which she's also going to star in, which focuses on um, the woman he was accused of of plotting to kill, uh, Carol Baskin. And um, it's, I think it's pretty much more based on the podcast than actually the documentary series. And she's been working on it apparently since last autumn, actually. But I think this is going to be, if there's not a film and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I will eat my hat because this, I think, is going to live and live and live, this story. Yeah, definitely. If it becomes scripted and then I have to watch it for this show, then at least you'll, you know, it is scripted. It's going to be scripted and you are going to have to watch it. That's the only. You're going to enjoy watching it. Those are the only circumstances (laughs) under which I will watch it. (laughs) Fine. Any other news? Do we have anything else happening in this, you know, locked down world in which we now exist? No, that's no. Okay. That was it. That was the news. Time then, I guess, for this week's reviews, which kicked off with Save Me 2, the follow-up to Lenny Jane's Save Me, uh, which not only brought the puffer jacket back into vogue, but was an incredibly gripping drama. Uh, This is about a father whose estranged daughter goes missing, uh, and then he's then drawn into the seedy web of paedophile rings and child auctions. It's cheery stuff. Terry obviously loves it. Series one, it has to be said, I thought was brilliant. Like the one of the best things I saw that year. Um, the question is, can our Lenny keep up the pace for series two? Terry, what did you make of this one? Um, so I'm going to cut straight to the chase and say that I fucking loved this. It is possibly uh, one of my favourite things this year so far. Um, and we loved season one, but it's been so long. Yeah. And that's why I revisited it this week because... I remembered bits of it, but actually when you watch it again, I don't know if we really comprehended at the time how great it was. Um, And so this one picks up 17 months later and it opens episode one. No spoilers, but it opens episode one and Nellie's sat in this car with bloodstained knuckles and it's full throttle pretty much from the beginning of that first episode. I watched two episodes, I should say, um, Second episode, I think, is even better. Really interestingly, narratively, it kind of moves backwards and forwards. So it kind of fills you in on bits that have happened since you actually left them behind. There are some new things, though. Leslie Manville has joined the cast, who is incredible as Gideon. We'll remember him as Adrian Edmondson. He's the bad auction paedophile guy. Um, That's what it says on his business card. That's that's what it says on IMDb. Um, And she plays his wife. And I have to say, she is as you would expect Leslie Manville to be, absolutely fucking outstanding. There is a a speech she gives in episode two, which you wouldn't expect. She's the wife of a, you know he's a paedophile, you know he is a terrible, terrible human. You know she's complicit to some extent. And um, there's this speech that is written for her, which I just think the empathy displayed for her a person you probably wouldn't normally have sympathy with in this situation. And it just really goes to show, I think, the genius of Lenny James's writing. I mean, mm. that's the thing that stands out for me in this. The cinematography is great. The way it's shot, it's all handheld. So you have this really kind of quite pacey, frenetic feel to it. Um, really realistic, really authentic. But it's the script for me that really, really makes the show which is just outstanding. It's authentic without resorting to kind of working class cliches the detail is brilliant you know we're used to seeing missing kid programs through the lens of like middle class families 
with a shit ton of money to throw at the situation normally. <laughs> there are brilliant details in this, which is how do you go and hunt for your missing kid if you don't have a car? Like, and he spends half his time trying to like get people to drive him around or like going to see a girl for a girl he's knocking off because he needs to borrow her car and get her keys. Like, I love that detail in it. But it's the the writing. I mean, it's like poetry at points. There are moments where Nelly speaks, especially um, where he's just it is like poetry. And the character of Nelly, I think, is one of the great kind of characters in telly at the moment. He's a womanizer. He's massively selfish. He's single minded, but he's utterly charming at the same time. He's such an interesting and he's so he's written in such an interesting way. But the secondary characters as well, whether it's um, the relationship between Bernie and Mellon, who's played by Stephen Graham, he's a convicted sex offender, their their kind of dynamic, the barmaid in the pub, the landlady who's been Nellie's friend since they were kids. Like every piece of this is done so brilliantly. I could talk and talk and talk about how much I love the show. Actually, I think season two is even better. I mean, darker in many respects, which mm. is kind of amazing given how dark season one was and it's really about kind of past sins and redemption and i think it's really clever that they've called it save me too because really lenny's um quest to find his daughter is trying to save her but he's trying to save himself at the same time but then every other character and this is also kind of trying to redeem themselves and save themselves from something i just think it's so compelling and so pacey and so brilliantly done and um, when can we get the next episodes, please? Really like <laughs> one go. Episode three is is available to watch, but uh, James didn't um, download it for us. But I watched it. Uh, God damn it, James! <laughs> yeah, and Carazon being incredible, I agree with everything you say. What what struck me about it is that I think we did say this with, with season one, but it's even more true of this series. Is that it's got this incredible ensemble of characters, like ten, you know, seventy nine, yeah. ten, incredibly real three-dimensional characters any of whom stories could be a series in its own right could be a six eight part series in its own right and he somehow lenny james somehow juggles all of these elements he's got it's a crime story it's a thriller it's a it's a drama about as you say this community this working class community without any of the cliches that that usually uh, implies it's a character study of about as I say, nine, ten characters. It's about his, this, him in his search. Um, this time, he he brilliantly brings in Grace, who is the the girl he rescued at the end of series one, as a mate becomes a major character, and she is phenomenal, played by Olive Gray, and um, what and and that's showing you the the post traumatic um, situation of how you know what happens to you if you've been an abused human being, and that is done it so powerfully. It takes time to kind of to, to look at those things. Like, what is it like to recover from that? What's it like to to be in a courtroom and to have to talk, talk about your experience um, of abuse and um, all of that? And yet, at the same time, it's thrilling and it's incredibly gripping. So, just just the skill, his skill at marrying all these things, at juggling all these elements, as you say, that the, the time-wise, the timeline is much more complicated mm. in series two than it was in series one. And he's done that so cleverly too. You know, for, there are times when I was actually a little bit confused, and I had to go back and rewatch something. So I think that's fine because you're like, oh, actually, when when surprise moments arrive. Um, and you realise what's been going on. It's so powerful and it's so interesting. It just adds another layer 
to an already incredibly intoxicatingly compelling show it is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I think it's 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 definitely one of the best things I've seen this year, mm. and as good if if not better than series one. He's an incredible writer and incredibly mm. a- incredible actor. Like he puts mm. so much soul into Nelly, uh, and it's it's a it's a heart rending performance. And I think you, you're right, Terry. This is it's darker. I think partly because the first one starts out as it's a missing child, and the sort of the paedophile element is kind of like it's, it's almost like a third act thing when it comes in and it's it hits really hard and it's really upsetting. Whereas this one begins at that level mm. and kind of goes down from there. Uh, so it's I mean it, it's but it's it's really I mean it's bleak in that it's. Uh, it's a really sort of serious, quite harrowing subject matter, but it's not, he doesn't like wallow in the misery of it. Do you know what I mean? Like he's a really dynamic character. He's got real agency. He's always doing something, going somewhere. You always feel like he's making progress, even if he himself doesn't. Um, and I love the way he writes his own character. Like he has a very, he has a very particular way of talking, like a very sort of unusual diction that he uses. And it gives him a real sense of character, that sense of his upbringing, that he has this sort of like shorthand that he has with his friends. And that like all his friends call him Biggin and there's Melon and there's, you know. Well, but I loved, I loved, and I think, Boyd, you touched on it, the way he builds that community out to be a real mm. community. It all revolves around that pub, The Palm, which is a real pub, by the way, and he's also one of the best pubs in London. Um, and the way that he's, he within the bleakness, as you say, James, he has these moments of like levity so there's this brilliant karaoke scene in the pub where you get the sense of what these people mean to each other and it allows him to explore the dynamics but fundamentally they're a a warm group of people trying to do their best in a like a nightmare situation and the fact that he takes the time to allow those moments of kind of community and and happiness and joy in amongst all of the kind of it's not unrelenting misery by any stretch Mm. of the imagination Mm. Completely. Yeah, absolutely. And the um, there's a very funny scene about revolving around his birthday and his hmm. puffer jacket, um, which I thought was brilliant, a brilliant way of dealing with the puffer jacket as this iconic costume that he wears that, that's superb. And I, and I did want to mention the Leslie Manville thing. Oh, my God, she's so fucking great. Oh my God. And it, it, he's built her um, rolling it round, I think, like the meetings between the two of them, these like one-on-one. And there's a, I think there's like three or four of those in the first two or three episodes and they're all absolutely incredible and how that relationship develops. Obviously, initially, he's unbelievably furious and angry with her uh, being the wife of a, of this paedophile. But then that that becomes a nuanced situation as time goes on. That's so interesting. And he did massive amounts of research about people who's um, discover their partners have double lives. So not specifically this, but just mm. people who'd suddenly find out that, that they didn't, the person they'd been married to for 20, 30 years was doing something, uh, had this whole thing going. And that's so interesting. I think that's what really interesting him about bringing her in. Mm. And she does that so incredibly well, yeah. There's so many elements to it. It's, it's, I, I, I do think it's like, I, I can't think of another show that has this, it's only six episodes yeah. and it's like densely packed with all yeah. this stuff. Because I remember, like, we were watching uh, Series 1 of this when we were... This predates the podcast, doesn't it, Series 1 of this? Because we were doing... When we were putting the first issue of Pilot to bed, I remember we were watching this. And well, I, was I think we were previewing it then, yeah. And we I was like, previewing. this is the greatest thing I've seen in ages. I couldn't... I, yeah. It was so compelling. Um, I can't... Yeah, can't recommend this show highly enough. I mean, it's, it's the best thing Sky have had, I think, by Country Mile. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And they, you know, they are so lucky to have it in so many respects. I think he's such a a huge talent like just ridiculous to be able to create this and maintain it and then turn in this second season Mm. um which is just a completely of the same ilk but also a completely different beast i think it's incredible yeah 
That is Save Me 2, which drops on Sky Atlantic and Now TV on Wednesday, April the 1st at 9pm. Next up this week is Amazon's Tales from the Loop. This is an anthology series based on a narrative art book by Simon Stalenhag uh, and explores different stories from a town situated above the loop, a machine designed to unlock the mysteries of the universe. So I guess a little bit like what would happen if Albert Square had been built on top of the Large Hadron Collider. Uh, Jonathan Mm. Price and Rebecca Hall star in this one, but did it unlock the secrets of your universe, Boyd? (laughs) Well, I was really looking forward to this because, um, you know, any any TV show that's going to have such a weird premise, I'm fully on board with, you know, a, a TV show, a drama based on a series of paintings <laughs> by some Swedish guy. Yeah, all right. Jonathan Price is in it as the kind of overlord of this loop thing that enables weird thing impossible things to happen um, to, impossible things made possible is like one of the things that keeps being said, you know, time is time becomes time works in different ways gravity goes out the wind all these things so i'm I, I like yeah this sounds a bit oc like you know i'm like fully in favor of weirdness but i thought it was disappointing i thought it was very um very kind of ponderous and very self-serious and self-important and it, almost the very first scene defined what was wrong with it for me because the very first scene is um jonathan price is this overlord guy explaining to you face to camera what the fuck is that the loop is roughly you know this is this and he's explaining it to us like well i'd rather see it i'd rather we were told you know through drama and character <laughs> development what this world is you know don't tell us about it and then and because he's telling establishing that oh freaky things are happening anything could happen in this world you're then expecting really big interesting things to happen and there's a bit of that there are some arresting images but nothing like i felt like nothing really i felt like i hadn't seen before and the central story which rebecca hall um is, is really good actually obviously she's brilliant and there is an interesting idea at the root of it something that an idea that involving time that you would see in an episode of doctor who or you know um other shows that deal with this kind of subject matter science fiction stuff and in the end, I was underwhelmed because I thought it was it could have been wrapped up in half an hour. It was an hour. It was one of those shows where every single scene goes on just a bit too long. <laughs> and sometimes that works. Some sh- scenes can go on too long, and that makes them extra interesting in some shows. Like, uh, by the way, this was partly ruined by the fact that I, what I'm, I've started watching Devs, which we'll, which we'll review in a few weeks' mm. time, which is Alex Garland's show, which has some similar, similar kind of subject matter and similar it's, it's stuff, but it's... I mean, spoiler alert, it's so fucking much better. So this did slightly, um, uh, slightly affected by that in my mind. I just thought it, was, it wasn't as fantastical and amazing as the premise led you to believe. Go on, Terry. Oh, what did you on. make? See, I was, I was fascinated to hear what you thought of this because I thought, even looking at the synopsis, I thought, oh, Terry's going to fucking hate this. Well, um, so I, I saw this synopsis and I thought, oh, fucking hell, James is going to love this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yes, which automatically should mean I would hate it. I didn't hate it. I, I don't feel dissimilar to Boyd in that... Um, it was it's very slow and it's deliberately so we should say it's very quiet it's very unrushed i did watch it immediately after watching save me too <laughs> which i think may have been an error because i went from this pacey incredibly compelling thriller to this which is very as you say it's very meditative it takes its time with everything 
it's beautiful. We should say, and you can tell it's it's based on a series of paintings. It is absolutely beautiful visually. The landscapes are exactly like paintings, as you'd expect. Philip Glass does some of the music, and and that's really intoxicating and works really well. But for a show that I think fundamentally is meant to be about the human condition at the heart of it, that's what all these tales I think are meant to explore. It left me really cold and I couldn't quite put my finger on why. I definitely enjoyed the first episode the more I stuck with it. I have to say, if I wasn't reviewing it for this podcast, I would have given up halfway (laughs) through. Because it was so slow. I was literally like having to stop myself getting on Twitter at the same time. And I didn't. I was like, force myself through the pain barrier. And there's a reveal, which which we won't discuss, but there is a reveal that kind of propels things along a little bit more dramatically, which actually comes relatively early. It comes about halfway through the episode. And from then on, I was much more kind of into it. Um, I really admired it, um, but I don't think I could say that I was compelled by it. No, I'm I'm very much in the same camp as you two. Like I, I this seemed very much my bag. I was quite excited to see it, and then about fifty minutes in, I just I caught myself thinking. Well, I was like, "What the fuck is this all about?" <laughs> Honestly, I was like, "I don't know what's going on." There's like a disintegrating upward house and stuff, and I was like, "I don't know what's happening." I'm not entirely convinced. I care to find out. Uh, it, it took far too long to get anywhere, and I did get a little bit more interested towards the end when i started to understand what was happening but as you say it's just it just moves very slowly not a lot happens it thinks it's a lot cleverer and more profound than it actually is as not to say it's bad as such it's just it could have been streamlined and i think you know but it, as with all all shows of this ilk which are kind of anthology based you know to judge it on one episode is quite difficult it's mm. possible that all the others are masterpieces and that it just gets off to a bad start though i do feel if you're going to make an anthology show make the first one a cracker come on you know get people's attention so i would say on the strength of this one episode i'm not planning to watch any more um but i mean i think it's one of these shows where if you're even slightly interested by this episode maybe watch the second one just to you know to see if like that's a more interesting story but then i'm not really given to anthologies like individual like, episode by episode anthologies anyway like i, I like an ongoing story and I, I know there's connective tissue between these episodes mm. but um boy have you only watched one have you watched more than one i have only watched one yeah i would have watched more if <laughs> yeah. if it had been less deliberately slow yeah I i'm mean, assuming jonathan price turns up in all of them to one extent yeah i'm sure i think i think um, i think there are i think there are recurring characters yeah i think characters but the focus shifts doesn't it yeah so it's yeah. not it's not yeah. completely standalone the focus shifts from sort no, of the clues in the title person. i think tales from the loop indeed yeah, be, indeed yeah um yeah. unfortunately this is the only tale from the loop i plan to <laughs> sit through so uh can't uh say i will be persisting with that one however your mileage may vary well that is Amazon's Tales from the Loot, which, appropriately enough, drops on Amazon on Friday the 3rd of April. Uh, Finally this week, we have Home Before Dark, the latest Apple TV Plus original. This show sees Jim Sturgis and his family move back to the small town he grew up in after losing his job in New York. His young daughter, who's a budding investigative reporter, soon discovers a cold case that the town seems to want to leave buried and sets about trying to dig up the truth. Terry. So there are a few things you have to get over 
with this show, um, which does from the get go seems like a kids show, right? So at the heart mm. of this show is, and it's a we should say it's based on a real life father and daughter. Um, Hildy is a real life woman who was a, a young journalist who, at a very young age, solved some massive cold case in America. Um, and here it's it's essentially her story, although obviously with some things changed. Brooklyn Prince, who we should say is incredible, who's in the Florida Project. She was the daughter. She's an incredible talent. Um, and she plays Hildy, this nine-year-old, who, as you say, is a invest- claims to be an investigative journalist at the age of nine, has her own newspaper, um, and is the kind of constant voice of... Um, of uh what integrity on her father's shoulders who has been has been bruised by being fired from his job and you know we all know the difficult time that journalism is having which somebody should tell her by the way because like <laughs> yeah. if she's planning Stop. on a career in journalism yeah. then she's going to be fucked but there, there are a few things you need to get over in this which is it does seem like a kid's show and that's and that's kind of what you feel she's incredibly precocious so she watches all the president's men over and over again and like quotes it to herself. She listens to the white stripes. I mean, you know, th- th- this child, she looks like she's in an urban outfitters <laughs> advert in her little duffer coat and her little boots. Um, but I have to say, I kind of quite like this. It's got a real charm to it and it does edge close to cheesiness sometimes. There's a speech on a cafeteria <laughs> table that had me initially clawing my face off. But then it's always slightly undercut. And I think that is the work of John M. Chu, um, who directs this, who obviously we know better from Crazy Rich Asians and is, is doing In the Heights. And there is a, a there's an, kind of a slightly edgy, um, poppy sensibility to this, which I really like. The soundtrack choices are amazing. You've got Bikini Kill. You've got Carrie Underwood with Ludicrous. You've got these incredible covers of um, People Are Strange and Creep by Radiohead. There's a really interesting kind of mood and texture going on with this. It is a little bit Stranger Things, but like Stranger Things cut up with Nancy Drew. It's got that kind of Nancy Drew spirit to it. Um, She is great. She's really, even when she's been incredibly precocious, (laughs) she is really, really great. And it looks incredibly slick. It's shot beautifully. There are a couple of overhead shots which are really gorgeous. Um, So I liked this more than I imagined I was going to from the premise. I am gobsmacked by this. I was expecting an evisceration and a burning, like a ritual burning of this show from you. Uh, you- no, I think, do you know what it is? I think it's this fucking virus lockdown <laughs> has, made me, has made me really kind of sentimental and quite like yeah. open-hearted to things. I don't know what's happening and I hope normal service will be resumed on the other mm. side. But I, I found something really lovely about this show. My question is, is this an example of worse parenting than breeders? <laughs> where this fucking nine-year-old girl is allowed to wander around in the middle of the night going to crime scenes by her frankly shoddy parents. And what happens in the final scene? I'm not going to spoil oh, it. Oh, yeah, I know. Oh, I my know. God. I know. Fucking hell. I, I mean, I was just, I have to say, I found it fairly unbearable. <laughs> I mean, she is so precocious, isn't she? It's like, oh, come on, you know. I don't know. There's, just, I, I mean, it's in not, not her performance is great, as you say, but uh, there's something about the writing of it. It's like, and obviously, 
everyone you're supposed to feel for her because everyone finds her resents her because she's nine years old and she knows more about <laughs> yeah she's known more about journalism and seemingly crime <laughs> than anyone else and she's got some weird sherlock like no her mind palace to, yeah mind palace that was weird on. that was yeah. weird the way that oh was my, edited yeah. was really weird yeah really weird um i mean but it is incredible the, the real Girl, Hilda Kate Lysek is only 13 now, apparently. Yeah. Um, so it is an unbelievable story. I, I felt like, oh, God, I can't, I couldn't bear watching any more of it. I mean, I did, it was very well done and he did direct it very well. And it was like, I just wasn't expecting this, I guess. Like when this came up on the Apple TV, you know, like um, uh, kind of the poster for it, the images of it, it looks like it's going to be a really dark you know yeah. mystery thriller thick thing and it is it's a it's a young ya why quite young young adult but it is edgy i see that but I, I i just couldn't get along with her with it she's so precocious i couldn't deal with it i'm sorry <laughs> but the thing is to boy's point like it's an odd one isn't it because it's murder and it's like you think who is this aimed at because it played a little bit like i reviewed timmy failure for empire earlier this week which is just a kid's film on disney plus i'm like this doesn't feel aimed at a dissimilar audience and like there are some there are two amazing examples of smell the fart acting in this episode where there's a one bit with a police woman literally she's pausing goes she looks around hang on a minute that might mean something you're like oh my god what is happening and there are two instances of this like it's so cheesy like so that cheesy so cynical. And it makes no sense so like this thing there's a there's an instant with a vhs tape and you're just thinking oh please how much can this possibly be based on fact i cannot believe this i just honestly i barely made it through this i just i, I was so i think I was bowled over for two reasons. One, because, as Boyd said, I think I maybe had it in my head that this was going to be something that it wasn't. But also, I think, because this is on Apple, and Apple have done such great things with groundbreaking, you know, uh, incredibly sort of provocative and, and, and audacious programming. And then you've got this cheeseball nonsense. And it just seems like one of these things is not like the others. Like, it's why commission this if you're, you know, dedicated to doing all these crazy, bold things? Why put this after-school special on? I don't understand. I think they're going for a family audience yeah because I mean, yeah. there's cool. quite a few things you know on the, on their roster that are family oriented mm. um this and the thing and about elephants yeah right yeah um but yeah it's oh my god it's quite challenging i think if, if you i don't know yeah oh yeah. i enjoyed it you miserable old <laughs> i can't believe how yeah you've changed yeah you have and boyd's like i mean christ when boyd is down more oh, down no. on this than you that's this is not this is not right with the world you can tell that the apocalypse has come <laughs> yeah. uh, the apocalypse has come and it's Terry smiling it's Terry smiling and Boyd <laughs> hating something yeah, so that was Home Before Dark um, and this drops on Apple TV uh, Apple TV Plus on Friday the 3rd of April uh, other things out this week I believe Into the Badlands uh, new series of that comes to AMC UK on Monday March the 30th sort of on the tray uh, there's a lot of um, Arrowverse stuff still dropping I think The Flash comes to Sky One on the 31st Arrow coming on April 1st also on Sky One Legends of Tomorrow on the 2nd so there's a lot of that if you're into your Arrowverse there's some fun there for you uh, what else is coming up Boyd Max um, season yeah. is that two season three on E4 no it's series one it's been oh, a long time one. coming oh okay yeah. wow yeah 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 that has been yeah. a long time coming yeah O.T. Folk Benley's show which he wrote and created and stars in as a washed up boy band member it's, it's fun yeah i watched it it's funny it's we should have done that really instead of, <laughs> instead of home before dark um but you probably would have hated it. he's a character this ex washed up boy band guy that he plays is intensely irritating you will hate oh, it i'm but glad we didn't do it yeah that's e4 thursday uh 9 30 mm. yeah and 
Pen15, or Penis, as I imagine it's supposed to be read, comes to Sky Comedy on the 31st. What is that? I should know what that is. Yeah, it's about, it's these two um, women, Maya Erskine and Anna Conkley, Conkle, Conkley, um, they play their 13-year-old selves in, in a high school, yeah. and with the rest of the cast are young teenagers. So it's like, um, so it's using that device where adults play ki- kids, basically. Yeah. And, and it's based roughly on their uh, friendship when they were at school together, I believe. Okay. What else is dropping? Oh my God! There's a Grey's Anatomy is dropping on Sky Witness. This is a new season of Grey's Anatomy. How is that show still going? Uh, that drops on Wednesday, April the first, as well. Uh, and I think it's about oh, kidding. Kidding is on Sky Comedy from the thirty-first. Yep. Uh, and yep. that's broadly speaking Seriously. it. Our pick of the week, I would have thought, is fairly blindingly obvious. And wears a yellow mm-hmm. puffer jacket. Oh God! Yeah, save me too. Pick of the year. Watch it. Under there is no excuse for not watching Save Me. Absolutely no excuse because it's awesome. So, before we depart, do we have some classic shows prepared for the Banshee segment? Boyd, what have you got for us this week? Well, I wouldn't... So, um, I'm not calling it a classic show. I'm now on, like, weird shows. Okay. Um, You've run out of classics. We're going for weird. Yeah, I've run out of classics. I'm just doing, like, weird, bizarre things that people might not have heard about or might have forgotten about. And I was looking through... um, Sky Comedy has so many... I think I said this last week. They have so many brilliant um, classic shows in box set form. And it's also single-handedly keeping me going in these these dark times. But the weird one, when I stumbled upon, I'm like, oh, yeah, Kirstie Alley created a show called Fat Actress. Yes, I remember. In 2005. And it was basically a very self-referential, um, knowing thing about her own situation back then when she'd been in Cheers um, and she'd had another big American sitcom success and she was hugely famous. And she was pilloried in the kind of, you know, in the kind of celebrity uh, magazines and newspapers and the national inquiries of this world for being overweight and so this is all about kind of body image and all of that and she deals with it head on and I remember watching it and it's kind of like it's kind of almost done in like a Kirby enthusiasm style it's like it's you know it's kind of semi-scripted semi-improvised and it's got loads of like guest stars people like um John Travolta pops up in it um uh uh, Larry King plays himself in it, Merv Griffin, Real Perlman, all these people. And it's kind of bizarre and weirdly self-indulgent, sometimes quite funny, but it's just a really weird thing that happened was that Fat Actress fat actress in 2005, and it's all on Sky Comedy now. Yeah, well, like, given her recent Twitter activities, I shall be avoiding anything from Kirstie Alley, I think. Oh, I missed that. What's she been doing on Twitter? Uh, she was uh, tweeting vociferously in, uh, in praise of Donald Trump's handling of the coronavirus. Uh, oh, Christ. Uh, okay. I'll take it back. <laughs> um, fat actress then. Uh, mine this week, as promised uh, earlier on, is another John Wells show like ER. So I want to talk about Third Watch. I think I mentioned this last week. That I was going to talk about this last week. So Third Watch was a show I absolutely loved. So this was a kind of, you'd like this, Terry. It was a procedural. But it was a police, paramedic, and fireman procedural. Ooh, so it trifecta. rolled the three out together. And it was based around the Third Watch, which was the kind of like um, sort of evening to midnight, whatever it is, shift, when all the shit goes down, essentially. Uh, and this ran from uh, 1999 to 2005. And uh, so this was one that came about because John Wells obviously very, became famous doing ER and obviously worked on West Wing as well. Uh, he wanted to do a show about paramedics, but worried that he wasn't going to have enough material to make it work. And then he, uh, he teamed up with a guy called Ed Bonero, who's a former cop who'd wanted to do a cop show. And they were like, well, why don't we combine these two things together? Uh, and so it was just going to be about paramedics and it was going to be about cops. And then when they were casting for this, we were casting for the character of um, uh, of Bosco, Boscarelli, one of the police officers who Jason Wiles, 
who I mentioned in last week's Banshee, ended up getting that role. But they into they uh, auditioned a guy called Eddie Cibrian uh, for that role. He didn't get the role, but he was quite sort of classic pin-up handsome. They thought, we've got to make use for him. Why don't we make him a fireman? And they're like, well, there are no firemen in this series. They're like, fuck it. Let's bring in firemen as well. So then you get a third (laughs) arm, which was the fireman part of it. Although that that was a smaller part of the show. But it was really, really good because this... This is why I liked it as a procedural. It was a show that not only had its, you know, cases of the week, uh, but also had a lot of kind of arc-based sort of series ongoing storylines, which were really, really good. Loads of great people in it. Uh, Bobby Cannavale's in it. Uh, Molly Price, Kim Ravers in it. Um, Michael Beach is in it. He's always great. It actually had uh, it had crossover episodes with ER as well. It had at least one crossover with ER. Um, but this did get cancelled. So I think uh, NBC killed it after the sixth season which was a shame because actually i think it still had a lot of life left in it and i think it got it got some shit for being for a network procedural show it got a lot of shit for being unnecessarily violent having a lot of swears in it which for a network show is is pretty unusual um but i think it got praised very heavily for its treatment of uh 9-11 because 9-11 not only did they do a special a very special episode which had real firefighters and, and paramedics and stuff on it but it changed the nature of the show uh, because obviously they couldn't have a show set in New York about emergency responders and not react to this event. Uh, and I remember the episode that happens just after you just, it's really handled really delicately. I remember there being a shadow of a plane you see going sort of over the streets. Uh, and then it's how they all react to it and, and how it sort of changes everyone. But it was a really, really good show. You can't stream this anywhere, but you can buy it on Amazon. <laughs> Uh, and Google Play. It's also on Apple as well, and you can almost certainly pick up a box set computer exchange as well. But I, I do recommend it if you're if you're into your procedurals, Terry. Uh, I I think this is one worth watching. I think you'd like it. It's good. It's good. Kim Raver, who was she actually quit before the end because she got a regular part in Twenty Four, so she left to go and do that. Fact. There you go. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> now this will be the point, Terry, where you banshee the show that I bansheed last week. So if you'd like to tell us about uh, Persons Unknown, then go for it. Well, I'm going to banshee a show that you would hate probably more than anything else we've ever discussed on this podcast. And I've kind of taken Boyd's brief, which is weird, lesser known things. So this is the mind of Herbert Clunkadunk. What? Um, (laughs) I'm not making it up. I'm not making it up. The mind of Herbert Clunkadunk, which is from 2018, but it was a a series of um, comedy. It is technically shorts, but it is on BBC iPlayer. Um, and it, Spencer Jones is a comedian and he's the kind of alter ego of Herbert Clunkadunk. It is possibly one of the weirdest things I've ever seen um, on the BBC. And it's really kind of, it's really simple premise, which is it's about a guy, he's married, he's got kids. It's about him going about his daily, everyday life, but he's constantly interrupted by his crazy imagination so when he gets to the front door his shoes start to talk to him um his door talks to him it's got this mad west country accent he sees this guy in the street every single day and this guy's got ping pong balls instead of eyes and sometimes when he talks to his kids his kids have got ping pong balls instead of eyes i can't adequately describe it i was thinking all morning about how can i adequately just sum up what this is but it is so kind of on one hand prosaic on the other hand deranged that I'm really struggling to be able to do it justice there are five episodes of this and they're between I think between 10 and 12 minutes ago on iPlayer they're all on there the mind of Herbert Clunkadunk James I want to challenge you to watch one no. and then let me know how much you hate it it's 10 minutes of your Fuck life no. it's 
Ten minutes of real life. Don't be a bell end. <laughs> have you watched? Have you watched Mr. Winner? So, yeah. So he's he's the guy. Yeah, yeah he's Mr. Winner, yeah. right? So so Mr. Winner is on at the moment yeah. on um and it's and it's fant- I love it. Absolutely love it. It's proper old fashioned. Yeah. I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Um, but he's I love Spencer Jones. He's so great. He's so likable. Um, uh, you might yeah. Well, no, no I won't. It, no. Try Mr. Winner as well because it's it's really brilliant. Old fashioned, flat out funny slapstick like some mothers do have them level of slapstick and he is a fucking brilliant um, guy in it yeah there's a triple bill of comedy all on the same time though Wednesdays at 10 o'clock Mr. Winner Hitman and Feel Good are all on the same time if you haven't already binged all of Feel Good which I guess and Clunkadunk and And Clunkadunk Clunkadunk it up James Clunkadunk it up ye gods yep Right. Okay. Well, there's a, a, a trifecta of uh, weird and wonderful shows for you there, uh, which marks, of course, the end of another episode of the Pilot TV podcast, which we hope you enjoyed. Hope we could bring some much-needed bellendry into your ears during week two of the lockdown. Uh, as always, if you'd like to get in touch with any of us, we are on Twitter and Instagram at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Terry underscore White. Um, doing this podcast, it has to be said, as well as what feels like the dozen other others I've kind of recorded this week, uh, I think really helps us all feel connected and feel like we're actually, you know, seeing people uh it certainly makes me feel slightly saner so i do recommend that even if you out there do not have a podcast of your own uh, do do make sure that you do reach out and get in touch with people over like skype zoom whatsapp house party you know there's a lot of this sort of video chat roulette going on at the moment where people are just like getting on someone on skype video chat and i do think it's important to have a bit of face-to-face time because it does help keep your sanity intact so do bear that in mind uh we will be back in your ears next week when among other things, we might well be talking about the new Red Dwarf special, Red Dwarf colon, The Promised Land, which drops on Dave. And honestly, the thought of Terry having to sit through that should be incentive enough for uh, absolutely and, uh, everyone to tune in. Uh, and I believe, I believe it's featureless. Hey. Oh, for fuck's sake, Come of course on. it's fucking featureless. Terry, you understand that's not a Red Dwarf movie. That's a one-off Red Dwarf dramatic TV event. <laughs> <laughs> and thus qualifies. I think in this case, it's definitely a movie. (laughs) Well, (laughs) tune in and enjoy that next week. Until then, though, take care. Pilot out.